Let's pray. Father, we come up before you under your word. And the very purpose of your word is for us to see that you're our father. That we are, called, we are under your word so that we will bask in the lovely truth of the fact that we are the sons of God because of the work of Christ. I pray, Lord, that as we talk about prayer, may this aspect, may this truth of the fact that you are our Father be clearly communicated and be persuaded in our hearts so that as we talk about our needs, may we look at all, all our needs in the light of the fact that you are our Father. As, uh, as we are going to preach about that here this morning, I pray that it will be persuasive and convincing so that more people learn how to trust you in their, in their daily things. Father, lead us in the truth this morning. All this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular, we are continuing our series in the Lord's Prayer. Um, I think I can finish it, but if I can't finish it today, then Pastor Wujin should, you know, maybe could help me out and finish it off next week. So we are talking about the Lord's Prayer, and we are, we are, Oh, wow, my notes got deleted. Interesting. Okay, so we are, we, and, and so we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is something that if you're raised in a Christian environment, it's, it's what you've grown up with, right? I remember having family worship with my mom and my brothers every night. Um, my mom would re- give, you know, bust out the big picture Bible. I think we have one of those in the library, this big picture Bible, right? Two volume sets. We would read, and then we would do the Lord's Prayer. Um, and God bless my mom. I love her so. I hope she's not listening. But we would just, after each Bible study, after each you know, family worship, we would just end the service with the Lord's Prayer. But we never really talked about what the Lord's Prayer meant. We just, something like, we just kind of recited without actually having to think about it. Like even now, when I go back to Korea, I have like a 45-minute to an hour family worship service between me and my mom. And we still end the service by reciting the Lord's Prayer. And yet we never talk about what the Lord's Prayer actually meant. So that's why it's a good thing to actually study what Jesus is teaching us, what we ought to pray for in the Lord's Prayer. So I visited the Oakton Small Group again this Friday. Um, And then one of the sisters was saying, like how she didn't realize how complex the Lord's Prayer was. Hey, yeah, it's very complex. Right? It, it is easy just to kind of gloss over the complexity of it when you just recite it. But when you actually study it, it's very complex. And it is complex because the Lord's Prayer reveals so m- many things about God, so many things about ourselves, so many things about the human condition. In the Lord's Prayer contains truth about God, the human condition, our needs, our present, our future. Everything is contained in the Lord's Prayer. Therefore, it's very complex. But, but even though there's a lot of theological points in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer is always, it's based. Everything that Jesus teaches how to pray, everything in the Lord's Prayer is based on the single premise that God is our Father. The very first thing that Jesus teaches us when he teaches us how to pray is he, he teaches us to refer to God as our Father. Everything else in the Lord's Prayer is based on this truth that God is our Father. More important, what Jesus is teaching us is 
more important than the actual physical act of prayer, which is important, more important than the actual physical act of prayer, which is very important, what is most important is how you approach God when you pray. Yes, prayer is an important spiritual exercise, but more importantly, the actual act of it is who do you think God is when you pray? How do you approach God when you pray? Because how you approach God in prayer determines whether your prayer is powerful and effective. And Jesus gives us two examples. The hypocrites. Remember the hypocrites? The Pharisees? Their prayer life was all about reciting things. Formalized prayer. They recited. It was a very ritualistic prayer. Why do they pray like that? It's because in their mind, God was a cosmic scorekeeper. God just take, God has a clipboard, and, he's, and in their minds, God is a God with a clipboard, and said, okay, if, did this dude pray this prayer this morning? He did, check. Did this dude pray the afternoon prayer this afternoon? Check. Did this dude fast in this particular day? Check. In their mind, God was a cosmic, he's like a golf scorecard keeper. And at the end of your life, if your scorecard was filled with checks, then you go to heaven. That's what they were thinking about as they prayed to God. More important than the contents of the prayer, more important than the identity of who God is, they, can, they only thought that the physical act was important because they thought that's what all God cared about. They had a wrong theology about God. The hypocrites, those are the hypocrites, the, 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 the unbelievers, the Gentiles, how they play was, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, how they pray was they just... Babylon, many, many words. Oh, give me this. Oh, Lord, give me this. And they will say the same things over and over and over again to God. Why do they pray like that? Because in their minds, they thought God was very stingy and unloving. And they have to wear God down. Right? They have to wear God down. God is like, see, like this. And you got to say, please, 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 please. The more time you say, please, then God will relent and give you what you need. In their minds, they need to wear God down because he is unwilling to give them what they need. They say meaningless mumblings over and over again because they had an incorrect theology about God. Do you have a correct theology about, theology about God? Do you have a proper understanding about who God is when you pray to him? In college, my foolish years, I thought I was like a pagan, right? When I was in high school, I was it's like, don't let Mr. Hurley call on me. That was my high school years, so immature. In college, I thought I would pray like a pagan in that I, if I thought if I just raised my voice, I prayed really loudly. If I, if, if I, if I just like pray really hard, that God's going to listen to my prayers. I remember like me and my, a couple of my brothers, at, like, in, like, you know, we had a prayer group. And we would go to, a, you know, like a Caucasian prayer chapel. I don't know why that's important. But anyway, it's a school chapel. And we would just pray loud. And people would complain in the church that we were too loud. And we thought they're, you know, they're, they're not believers, right? We, the loud prayer people, are the serious ones. My theology of God was incorrect. The proper way to approach God is to approach him as your father. Do you know God to be your father? So my father, when I was growing up, 
and even, I mean, until recently, he was a very influential, powerful man in Korea. Um, uh, and uh, I remember, like, I met a brother, I never, that's, that's a, this is getting recorded, I can't tell, but my father was a very influential, powerful guy, right? Um, I remember meeting, I'll tell, I, one of you, I, I met one of the, like, like, you know, SPC people in Seoul when I was there a few years ago, and I remember he was waiting for me in front of a restaurant, and, and I was taken with, in a black limousine, and it, it, like, it stopped right in front of him, and the, and the security guard opened the black limousine door, and I, I, and I got out. You know what I mean? And, the, my, and that guy was so, so, like, he was like floored of why I'm coming out of a black limousine. So my father was a very influential guy in Korea, right? But the benefit of having that kind of a man as your father is that in Korea, at least in Korea, not in the US, you feel very confident. You feel very confident. I mean, of course, I'm not above the law, right? we recorded. But you feel that if something happens to that country, that I'm covered, right? That my dad's going to take care of me as long as I'm in Korea. So when I'm in Korea, it's, I approach life with a certain confidence because I know who my father is. And that's the same confidence, similar confidence of what Christians should carry in their hearts. There has to be a certain confidence about you as you approach life because when you know that God is your father, do you have that confidence? Look, I drive into D.C., right? Um, and I pray, I, usually I pray through my commute, right? It's wonderful. And the other end, I, like this week, I, had, I was doing my quiet time in Hebrews chapter 12. And there's a part in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, God's kingdom is unshakable. God's kingdom is unshakable, it says. So as I was like, meditating upon that as, as I was commuting my way into D.C., in my commute to D.C., I passed by the Washington Monument, right? And my, my office is like right in downtown Washington, D.C. So I, I passed by the Washington Monument, and I passed by all these powerful, all these like impressive buildings with powerful people in it, right? And as I was driving in the other day, I was looking at the Washington Monument and said, that building is shakable. That building can be destroyed. But my father's kingdom is unshakable. The men, those buildings and the men in those buildings who are very powerful today, they are all shakable. What is unshakable is my father's kingdom. I pray this prayer for three days straight that your kingdom, Father, is unshakable. Your kingdom will come. As I was praying that prayer, oh, my heart was filled with confidence. Oh, I could, I, could, I could face that day's challenges knowing that it is my Father's kingdom. You should try it. Point to things and say, that is shakable, but my Father's kingdom is unshakable. There is a confidence, a certainty, a peace that comes in knowing that God is your Father. How did God the Father become our Father? We, we, said, we studied this in the last two weeks. Paul says, God became our Father because we were adopted at a great price. 
our natural birth. We are not God's children by our natural birth. We are God's creation by our natural birth, but we are not his sons by our natural birth. We become God's sons. By son, I mean the position of sonship, not because I'm a sexist, right? Olivia said I wasn't, so there, right? So, so, so it, it's a position of sonship. We become God's sons because we are adopted into his kingdom. Paul says we are adopted through the blood of Christ. The, and, and because we're adopted as his son through the blood of Christ, through the work of Christ, we have our position with God is similar to the position of Jesus Christ. We are not Jesus Christ. That makes me crazy. But legally, in the cosmic, universal, legal, you know, objective identity thing, identity-wise, we are the sons of God. And as sons of God, our Father will take care of us. Why do people doubt and worry? You know why we worry? The fundamental issue of why we worry is because we doubt that God is our Father. And we doubt God is our Father because we don't really understand the cost it took for our adoption. If you think God is your Father simply because you're a human being, if you have that kind of cheap understanding of that, what, that's, what makes you, that's what makes God your Father, then that cheap understanding will not give you a sense of certainty when troubles come. It is only when you know the price of your adoption, it is only when you know what it took Christ to, to make you his son, that you, and, and because of what he did, that you are, his, you are God's son, when you understand that, there is a certainty and peace to your life. One of, my one of my best friends in college, he's a pastor in L.A. God, I love him so. I haven't spoken to him in like 10 years, but I love him, right? And, and he, he's, he's like full-time pastor. Wife doesn't work, right? He's not a lawyer. He's a full-time pastor. He has four biological kids, three boys and one daughter. Oh, my Lanta, right? I thought two was enough. Right? And they're all like two, three years apart. It's crazy. But what did he do, this guy? He went to China and adopted another son. So there's five in his, in his family. Right? And he loves his kids. How do you know? Because he's one of those Facebook parents that post their pictures of their kids all the time. You know those parents? God bless you if you are. I love you. I'm proud of you. But man, oh man, some, kids, some parents go crazy. Like, their Facebook profile is their kids. Like, every little thing the kid does, you just post it on Facebook. Look how special my kid is. And your kid is really special, right? I don't want, I don't want you to, like, get all angry and talk to the kids about me. But sometimes people overdo it. I unfollowed a friend because he just overdid it. My friend in college, the pastor, he does it. He overdoes it too. But I don't defriend him. I don't unfollow him because I am fascinated by the way he loves his children. You can see in his eyes, you can see in the adopted son's eyes that he's no, treated no differently than the other biological siblings. He's just as, pre he's just as um, cherished, just as loved as his biological children. 
If you are the son of God, dare I say, maybe Pastor Eugene can correct me if I'm wrong, the love that God the Father has towards Jesus, his son, is the same love that he has for us. Because positionally, we are his son. It took great price, great cost to make us his sons, but we are his sons. And this is very important to understand, especially what, what, what we're gonna talk, in the light of what we're going to talk about today. What we're going to talk about today is God meeting our needs. With the portion of the Lord's Prayer that we're going to talk about today is God addressing, God telling us what to pray for, the, the needs that we have in this world. But the most important thing as we talk about our needs in this world is once again to understand that God is our Father. And our Father will provide for us. Do you understand? It's, it's, it's all, all over the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 17. God sa- Peter says, cast your burden on him because he cares for you. The burdens that you have on life, cast it on to your Father because your Father cares for you. When Caleb and Charlotte comes to me and says, Dad, I have a problem, what am I going to say? I'm going to say, good luck with that. Let me see how it goes. Is that what I'm going to say? No. I will move mountains to, 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 to take care of my children, and so will you. Peter says, cast your burden on him because your father cares for you. Paul, Philippians chapter 4, is it? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, submit your request to God. Why does Paul say that? It's because Paul is saying, God is your father. Don't be anxious about anything, but submit submit all your requests to God, your father, because your God, the father, cares for you. God the Father cares for you. He's not the God of the pagans where you have to wear him down. He's not the God of the hypocrites where he's aloof and all he cares about is your record. He's not any of that. He is the loving Father who cares for you. Do you believe that? Do you know that? You must. Isn't that what Jesus Christ died for? So that we can become sons of God? Jesus talks about the needs that we have in this world. Right? That's what this portion of the Lord's Prayer is about. And Jesus specifically talks about three things that we need in this world. I know right now, all of you, if I say, what is your need? You can tell me what your need is. Maybe some of you need a new job. Maybe some of you need to buy a house. I don't know. Maybe some of you need, uh, I don't know, a girlfriend or something. I don't know. Right? There's a need that you're cognizant of. Right? I think right now my need is to buy a Peloton bike. I'm thinking about it. That's all I'm thinking about, Peloton. Right? So there is this need that you have in, 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 the, back of your, in the back of your mind. Right? Peloton.com. Right? Is it worth it? YouTube. Like benefits of Peloton. Is it worth it after a year? Testimony. I'm, I'm on it, right? Because I need an exercise bike that I can ride between 1 a, 12 a.m. and 1 a.m. That's my exercise time. But there's a need that you're cognizant of. Every single one of us have, has a need that we're cognizant of. 
My daughter's greatest need right now is to buy clothes. She loves clothes. Right? Yesterday she went shopping. I said, again? I said, right? And where's the brand from? She said, H&M. I go, yes. Because H&M is cheap, right? H&M, yes. Right? From Hollister. What? Hollister? But that's her greatest need for clothes. And while I love buying things for her, right? While I love giving her gifts, me as her father, no, that's not what she really needs. Meaning, I know all of us have constant of what our needs are. Maybe we need to get married. Maybe we need a new career or something. But there is more, and God will provide for those things, I believe. But those are not the most fundamental needs that we have. What are the most fundamental needs that we have according to Jesus Christ in the Lord's Prayer? Three things. Number one, the, one of the fundamental needs that we have is our daily bread. We need bread. The second thing that we absolutely need is, to, is for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be able to forgive other, uh, forgive other people when they sin against us. That is a greater, great need. For our sins to be forgiven and for us to be able to forgive other people when they sin against us. That is a great need. And the third great need that Jesus talks about in the Lord's Prayer is for us to be led out of temptation and be delivered from evil. These are the three needs that we need to pray for because these needs are important as you live in this world. And Jesus says, pray for these things because your Heavenly Father will provide you for these things. Let's talk about the first one. Daily bread. Jesus says, pray. Give us this day our daily bread, he says. Ask the Father to give you your daily bread. What is bread? Bread is some, anything that you need, that, you, that, you, that, that your, your physical body needs to live in this world. Jesus says there are things that we need to live in, this, live in this world. My daughter has a need for clothes, but I know what she really needs is food, shelter, water, right? Love. There are things that we absolutely need in this world. We need food. We need money, right? What else do we need? That's about it, right? Food and money? But there are things that's absolutely necessary to live in this world. And Jesus says, pray for these things because your Father will care for you. Your Father will provide for you for your physical needs. I think sometimes we just kind of overly spiritualize God, right? When I ask someone, like com some commentators thought the word bread here means the communion bread. It means the communion bread. No, it doesn't. It means bread, what you actually need in this world. Sometimes I love going to small groups and we talk about like Bible study questions and people get like really like deep. I go, no, it isn't. It's like bread. That's what it says. There are things that you need in this world to live. And God's going to provide it for you. How do you know? You see it all the time. Look, Jesus' ministry. He came to preach that's true, but he spent a lot of time healing people's sickness. They had a physical need. Jesus came to physically meet those needs. 
one time when Jesus was like you know, in the mountain by the shore somewhere, and all these people came to hear Jesus preach. And he was like t- talking to them all day. And by, by nighttime, when Jesus knew they had to go home and their home is far away, Jesus was concerned that they will be hungry. Why did Jesus feed the 5,000? It's because they were hungry. He wanted to feed them. He cares about your physical need. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, the thing that I remember all the time is, like, there's this prophet in the Old Testament called Elijah. And Elijah won a great battle against the false prophets of Baal. And it was a great victory. But after the victory, the evil king Ahab and his wife Jezebel wanted him dead. Right? So they sent soldiers to kill Elijah. Elijah was on the run. But you know how God took care of Elijah when he was, he, was, he was on the run? The way God took care of him was he let Elijah sleep. He sent the angel, and he, he allowed you know, Elijah to sleep. When Elijah got up, the angel gave him food. He slept some more, right? Fed him, right? Fed him more. God didn't like, rebuke Elijah for running away. God didn't say, oh, you should have prayed more, buddy. He doesn't say that. He says... You're exhausted. You're hungry. I'm going to feed you. Don't overly spiritualize things. God cares about your needs, your absolute needs, and He will provide for you. Why? Because He's your Father. I am such a good dad. You know how I know? If there's lineman in the Sunday morning, my son and I eat lineman every, every Sunday morning. If there's one lineman left, you know what I do? I give the lineman to my boy because I'm a good dad. Right? He's a good lineman cook, so I eat, eat his like, you know, soup. Like, he always leaves a little bit of noodle left. I eat that in rice. Why? I'm a good father, man. That's the heart of a father. Father provides the need for his kids. You are in the same position as Jesus Christ. Will he not provide for your needs? He will. Look, one of the benefits, not benefits, realities of living in corporate America, and Sean, Kim can testify to this, one of the scary things about working in corporate America is you are always unaware that you can get fired and laid off at any minute. Right, Sean? Right? Initially, when he came to church, that's all we talked about. Oh, I'm going to get fired. Me too! Right? (laughs) But but it's a scary reality, but it's a reality. If you're living in corporate America, no job is safe. Right? In my firm. Like, if, if I haven't seen a person in the hallway for like a few days, I go, where is that person? They'll go, oh, you got fired. It's scary. But that fear, by the way, law firm people, I love you. I, I feel safe. I appreciate your work and all that stuff. Right? But... But living that aware, you know, the living in the awareness that you can get laid off at any time, you know what that does instill upon you? It, it instills upon me the understanding that God has given me this job and God can take away this job at any moment. He is providing for me today. God says, pray for your daily bread. God's provision is for, for every day. God provides for you every day. And when I'm working in an environment where I know that I can get fired any time, every day that I know that this day I can work and I can earn money for my family because God has providing for me for that day. 
Maybe tomorrow they say, you're fired. That means that God's provision through that job stops tomorrow and he's going to provide for me in another way. For those of you with jobs, understand that job that you have is not eternal. It, it isn't. We're under this impression that it is. We're under the impression that our job will never fade away. No, it's not. You know, 2008, during the recession, like, companies that existed for hundreds, like, like 100 years, overnight, they, they go bankrupt. None of your jobs is safe. Besides for the government. God bless the government. Right? God provides for your needs every day. It's a day-by-day reality. Look, I have a good friend who's a lawyer, and he volunteers at the Alexandria food, food drive. Food, it's not a kitchen, it's food, food bank, right? Food bank is like you distribute like, groceries to the poor people of the area. And he's a well-to-do lawyer, and he says every time he goes to the food bank and serves, he, and he talks to the people that he's serving, he became aware. The difference between him who is giving the food and the people taking the food, the only difference is, is two tragedies. He says, it only takes two tragedies for me to be like them. And he's a billionaire. He's always under the awareness that nothing is eternal. That food bank reminds him of that. Your job is not eternal. You have it because God gave it to you today. Because God is in the business of providing for your needs daily. For those of you who are in the job search, right? He's going to provide for you what you need today. He will. Your, the, 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 the job that you need in the future, he's going to give it to you in the future how you're supposed to live, just as how I'm supposed to live. Everyday prayer, everyday reliance on Him. Right? The reason why I pray during my commute, because I'm freaked out that I'm going to get fired. So I said, Lord, I need you to provide for me today. And that's really the truth. That's why I pray. For those of you who are unemployed looking for a job, that's your attitude. Whatever your job in the future, that's in the future. But He will provide for you today. Maybe today is in the form of delivering pizzas for Domino's. Maybe today is in the form of, I don't know, working at a music store somewhere. That's his provision for you today. His provision for you in the future will be in the future. But know this, our Heavenly Father will provide for you. He will. Why? Because he is your Father. That's what you need to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Another point. The reason why he says, give us this day our daily bread, not give me my bread today, the, word, the reason why he uses the word plural, us, as a commentary would suggest it, is the reason why he's using the plural us rather than me, is because he's saying, God is generous not only to the individual, but the community of believers. And the reason why he's generous to the community of believers is that he wants us to share in what we have. If God has blessed you with overabundance wealth, if God has provided you with more than what you need to live, 
The reason why he has provided you more than what you need is because he wants you to share the surplus. The reason why you get in that promotion is to provide for your needs and the recognition of your good work. That's all true. But the salary increase that comes from it, you need to consider, I need to consider, it is so that God, because God wants us to share in that surplus. When God blesses you materially, he doesn't bless you so that you can go, mine. Mine is me. God bless me. Not going to give it. I'm going to buy the big house. No. That's not the will of God when he blesses you. He blesses you so that you will share with the people who don't have much. That's how you're supposed to live, you know? That's how I'm supposed to live. Pray that God will provide for you daily. I promise you, he will. Second need that we have is is for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be able to forgive the sins of others. That's a great need that we have. The reason why our lives are so gloomy and dark and broken and messed up is because we don't forgive other people. Most of the time, your life is stressed because of interpersonal problems, because you cannot forgive other people. We cannot forgive other people because we don't know our sins and we don't know that our sins have been, have been forgiven by God. Let's talk about the first one. Uh, the need for our sins to be forgiven. What is every human being, I think it is the common human condition, right? That every human being in the face of the earth is, is they're born with shame. They're born with this, with this awareness this, this voice inside their heads that tells them that they're not good enough. That's what shame is. Like your internal voice telling you that you're not good enough. We're all born with it. We spend our entire lives trying to disprove it. All of our achievements, all the things that we want to possess, are in the pursuit of quieting that voice that says, you are not good enough, that you don't measure up. All the plastic surgeries in Korea, all the plastic, and there are a lot of plastics in Korea, is in pursuit of quieting that voice that you don't measure up. All the obsession about the Ivy Leagues, all the obsession of being doctors, it is to quiet that voice that says, you are not good enough. Why, where does that voice come from? Society says it comes from your parents. Your parents are super judgy and not accepting, therefore you feel shame. Maybe. Maybe, you know, our shame comes from the fact that we have the wrong body image. I want to look like Tyra Banks, but I'm not. I, don't, I mean, I don't want to look like Tyra Banks. Right? You know what I mean? We think, we misdiagnose where our fallen, like, shame, where our shame comes from. World says it's because your parents, because of societal's unrealistic expectations. It is, I don't know, you're bullied as a kid or something. All these things are the source of your shame. These things may exacerbate your shame, 
but these are not the underlying cause of it. The underlying cause of your shame is this. You know, your soul knows that you don't measure up to the standard of God. God has this beautiful, lovely, logic, truthful standard in the universe. But you know that you don't meet it. There's something always lacking about us in our, in, in, in our minds. We're lacking because you know that you don't conform to the image of the universal standard of God. That's where that voice comes from. You don't measure up to God's standard. Not measuring up to God's standard is not only makes us you know, unworthy of God's love, but not measuring up to God's standard, because we don't measure up, failure to live up to God's standard is causing us to do evil things. And the only way that voice will be silenced, the only way that you, that you will know that you're accepted, even though you don't measure up, is faith in Jesus Christ. Even though you don't measure up to God's standard, you clearly don't. I clearly don't. Christ has forgiven you anyway. And because of his work, you are made righteous in God's sight. In Christ, that you are acceptable. Even though you don't measure up to God's standard, even though I don't measure up to God's standard, in Christ, because, because what Jesus has done for us, when God sees us, he sees us as acceptable. The only way that you will quiet that shameful voice in your head is to have faith in Jesus Christ. It is only in Christ forgiveness and love come. Jesus says, pray that your sins will be forgiven. Pray that you'll understand what Jesus has done for you. Pray that you'll understand the righteousness that comes from the forgiveness of Christ. If you understand Christ's love for you and the fact that he made you righteous, how can you not forgive people when they sin against you? You know what? We know why we're unforgiving? Because we think, number one, that we're very good people. We do. We think we're normal, good people. We do. And we think we're very reasonable people. Right? I think every one of you think that you are a good, reasonable person. Yeah? I think so. And you think the standard that you have in your head about what people ought to be is good and reasonable. You're not crazy demanding. No, no, you're reasonable and good. And your standard is reasonable and good. And you start to compare other people through your reasonably good standard. And these people around you, whoa, they don't meet your reasonable good standard. They don't. What is this person doing? He's not... In my mind, there's a certain way to act and say things, but this person doesn't. They're not reasonable and good. Because my standard is reasonable and good. And if they don't meet my reasonable standards, then they're bad people. We start judging, right? My husband is not the husband that he ought to be. Because my standards are reasonable, and he's not conforming to my reasonable standard. Oh, look at that Christian. My standards are very reasonable and good, 
But that person isn't acting like the Christian that I think that he ought to act. Look at PJ. In my mind, my standard of a pastor is reasonable and good, but he's certainly not acting like a reasonable and good pastor. I'm going to judge. We do it all the time. I do it all the time. Because in my mind, I think I'm the most normal one. You're not the normal one. I'm the normal one. And my standards are normal. If you don't, if you don't conform to my standard, you're abnormal, you know? All of you are abnormal. Broken. Sinners. And you say, what about you? I don't know. We walk around with this judgment all the time. And rather than loving people, rather than forgiving people when they sin against us, we stick to our own judgments. That is especially dangerous in the, light of, in, in the context of a church. Do you know why? Behind every Korean church split. You know why every Korean church split? Because there are two or three factions that believe the way they think, they, the way they believe that what church ought to, how the church, should be, what the church should be doing is right. And the other person's opinion of what the church, other side's opinion of what the church ought to be doing, that's wrong. Behind every church split is an understanding. My perception, my understanding of what, what the church ought to be is the correct perception of what the church ought to be. The other side is wrong. This always happens. Churches always get sick like this because when people are too busy serving and not walking with the Lord, Busy serving people who do not walk with the Lord start to become super judgy. Did you know that? Every church that I've ever attended is ruined by super busy people who do not walk with the Lord. And when you don't walk with the Lord, your standard becomes the prime standard. And you judge everything in accordance to it. And there is no forgiveness in your heart. When you forget, that even though you didn't meet God's standard, that God forgave you anyway. When you forget that, you will stick towards your fallen judgments. If you don't pray, give, forgive us our sins, just as we have forgiven, and, allow, and if you don't pray, help us to forgive our debtors, I'm sorry, you're going to ruin the church. You need to pray this prayer, especially if you're involved in the church. Pray for the ability to see your sins and repent of your sins so that you will be able to forgive other people. Jesus said in verse 14, if you don't forgive the sins of other people, your father's not going to forgive you. What does Jesus mean? He says, the, the evidence that you're not, Jesus says, if you don't forgive other people, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. What Jesus means by is this. If you're not forgiving other people, that's evidence that you don't know God. Your ability to forgive people is the prime evidence of whether you know the salvation of God. If you're sticking around all judgy and stuff, 
without forgiveness, you don't know God. And that makes you very dangerous. You understand? It doesn't mean that you don't rebuke people. You need to rebuke people. You need to rebuke me when I sin. You do, right? You need to tell me, tell me the truth. And when you tell me the truth, I'll get super defensive for like five minutes, right? I'll get super, super defensive. I'll dare you. But I promise you, I will calm down, right? And I will, we, will, we can have a conversation. Because people have rebuked me before. One time I was sitting in, the, like, sitting in that office and three people just started rebuking me. Like three against one. Whoa, 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 whoa. Right? So I need to be rebuked. If you love me, you will rebuke me. And that's true. But being rebuking someone and judging someone is different. Rebuking is you pointing out that person's sin so, because you, wanna, you love that person. You want that person to change. Unforgiveness is you just constantly look at that person, always, every day, through your, through, your, through your judging standards. That's dangerous. Pray every day, Lord, forgive us our sins. Help me to forgive the sins of other people. That has to be your prayer every day. The third, third need that we have, this will, be, this will go pretty quickly need that we have. By the way, I envision this sermon to be like an hour. I'm doing really good time, by the way. You, you have to be proud of me, right? I'm almost done. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm super good pastor today. The third need that you have is you need to pray that God will deliver you from temptation every day. God will lead you out of temptation every day. And you need to pray that God will deliver you from, from evil every day. A life of a Christian, while we live in this earth, is a battlefield. It is, I don't know, the type of, you know the video games? Every video game is open world. You walk around the world, and there's like traps, and enemies, and zombies. I don't know zombies, right? There's like these hidden enemies all over the place. And you got to like fight your way through the game, man. That's how Paul describes this life. If you're a Christian, you have enemies. And the enemy wants to tempt you and derail you away from God. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says he is in an everyday wrestling, hand-to-hand combat with the devil, Paul says. If you are a child of God, if you are a son of God, you are the enemy of Satan. And the enemy of Satan wants to destroy you. He wants, you, he wants to, lead you to lead you to a place lead you to a thought process that is very unhealthy and destructive. He will want to lead your thumbs, right, in your internet search bar. He will want to take your thumbs into a place, into a world that you should not go. He whispers soft things to you. Hey, man, what's up? Like I shared last week, right? When I'm not close with the Lord, right, what invariably always happens is Satan tries to invite me back to the sin that I thought that I overcame. He does. The old sin that I thought I overcame, the taste for it kind of like comes back. And smokers say, like Korean smokers at least say, even, though when they, even after they quit smoking, the temptation to smoke comes especially after you eat Korean food. I don't know what about Korean food. Like after you eat the Korean food or something, 
like a big Korean like soup or something, some, some, someone said, the temptation to smoke always comes back because you, your body remembers the sin. Every day, Satan calls you. Hey, remember me, man? Come back. Every day, there's a temptation. And you got to pray that God will lead you out of that temptation and deliver you from evil. Every day. Because every day is a battle. You don't, you're, not, you're not living in a neutral world. You're living in a dangerous battlefield. And you need to be led. Jesus doesn't say, give me the strength to fight temptation. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't say that. Pray that you be led out of temptation. Pray that you will not have the strength. Don't pray that you have the strength to overcome the evil one. You don't have the strength to overcome the evil one. You have to be delivered from the evil one. You have to let God take you out of, the, of that place. That's why prayer and scripture is so essential. Because it is through prayer and scripture that you let God lead you out of that place of danger. You know? Look, in the last 10 years, in the last 10 years, like great leaders of the, of, of the Christian faith, they start falling. I think Pastor Eugene shared about his mentor that fell. But it's not just Pastor Eugene's mentor that fell last week. In the last 10 years, Christian leaders who are very prominent members, pastors, a lot of them fell. And they did great things of God. They preached well, right? They had big churches. They changed people's lives. But they fell. I don't know the exact reasons of why they fell, but I would imagine one of the main reasons why they fell is because they didn't pray this prayer. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Maybe in their minds they believed that they don't need to be delivered from temptation. Maybe they believed in their own press. Maybe they, maybe they thought, you know, they could overcome it because they're a man of influence. They stopped praying, lead us, from, deliver, lead us out of temptation and deliver us from evil. When they stopped praying that prayer, when they stopped noticing the evil in their lives, they fall. I can quickly fall, you know. Right? Like a couple, last year, like someone called me and said, PJ, there's a rumor that you had an affair. I go, what? Someone saw you at Tyson's Corner with a woman. I go, what? I don't know where that rumor came from. Certainly not me, I said. Can it be me? I don't think so. Women, ew. I mean, like, women, I love your sisters, but as like the f- person that I need to make my life like no, right? No. Ugh. But maybe one day someone who gets me comes into my life. Someone who fulfills my need that no one else can come into my life. Someone who gets my sense of humor comes into my life. Don't think I can fall? Of course I can fall. Lead me not in temptation. Deliver me from evil. That is the prayer, that is dependency that you need to pray to God every day. Because if you fall into temptation and if you fall into evil one, you're not only going to hurt yourself, but you're going to hurt the people that you love. 
Your father loves you. Your father will take care of you with your physical needs. He will. Your father forgives your sins. Your father will give you the ability to forgive other people. Your father will deliver you from temptation. Your father will deliver you from the evil one. Your father will because he's a good father. Go to your father every day and pray for these needs so that you will experience his provision and delivery. Let us pray.